0: Welcome back, peeps, to Perfect.Dev, where we give you cats, the freshest dose of dev snacks. Now with your amazing hosts, Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. This episode is sponsored by Builder.io, visually build on your tech stack. What's happening?
1: How's it going?
0: Uh, James has asked me for the YouTube stream. I forgot to uh, send this link out, folks. (laughs) So normal, I would say, what's up, perfect peeps? We've got James Q quick on the show today. He's gonna talk to us all about planet scale. What's the what's the title on this one? Enterprise Databases of that scale? Yes. Ooh, does this have to be an enterprise database, James?
2: Uh no, it does not. Um I, I was my wife just had a, a question for me, what like completely out of like developer context, just out of curiosity, if like it was only enterprise or if planet scale was specifically more enterprise focused, which I mean, it is in terms of like all r- databases are because that's where the money is, right? And that's where the scale is. But um, I think the coolest part is some of our developer features that we'll get to talk talk about throughout the, awesome. the stream.
1: I agree. James is one of our good friends that we've had on before. He probably doesn't need much of an introduction. Uh, we're from Compressed FM, Learn, Build, Teach, like all the things. Do you want to give yourself a little brief introduction just to let everybody know?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, first off, I saw um or i was not expecting the new intro i don't think you had all of that before that was pretty wicked so we're trying to go
0: more live i gotta stitch it together a little better it looks Mm -hmm. like but uh, i i got a new timer i'm gonna put in (laughs) we're, we're gonna be good
2: that was that was cool yeah i was not expecting that so yeah um my name is james uh q quick i have mentioned this a couple times recently there's a football player that went to the nfl named james quick so for seo purposes i had to embrace the (laughs) <laughs> Middle initial. So if you just I'm search kidding. James Quick, you'll find football for at least the first <laughs> couple. And then if you first search James Q Quick, you'll find me. Nice. Um, but I am a staff developer advocate at PlanetScale. We'll get to talk a lot about that. And then outside of that, um, I've been doing some combination of developer, speaker, and teacher professionally for about uh, 10 years now. So I do a lot of content outside. You mentioned the Compressed FM podcast, uh, YouTube, Discord, all the things, just hanging out and being part of the developer communities.
0: That's awesome. So last time you were on, you were actually, I think the last time, um, you were part of Auth0 still. You're a developer advocate over there. Um, Did you take any time off before jumping into Planet
2: (laughs) You know, it's funny. I gave a a talk about career tips, which I thought went really well for a local, but now global um, group called Code Connector, uh, which I was really involved in pre-pandemic in person but uh, it was all about career advice and one of them um, was to negotiate and there's other things that you can negotiate that are not just salary and (laughs) one of them is like start time yeah and i had to caveat that with like i have not done that well at that myself because i wanted to take like a a solid month off uh, between also and planet scale and my uh, vp was like well we have this big launch coming up that we would love to have you start for Um, so anyway i started uh, i think it was like a uh, week and a half almost two weeks after leaving all zero but then right after that i took the entire week of thanksgiving and then it was like i worked a week maybe two weeks and then i was off for another two weeks at christmas so i think it still kind of worked out well just because it was the holiday so even though i didn't take formally a bunch of time in between i got plenty of not working hours shortly yeah. after that
0: nice i i have the same story starting up at builder it's same time frame it's like oh, i'm gonna mm-hmm. peace out during the holidays sorry <laughs>
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Cool. Um, So I'm kind of curious um, as far as transition goes, and it it seems like a completely different product. Were you like prepared to jump into the database world?
2: Yeah, well, so to be honest, that was... um... That was like one of the reasons I'm multitasking and retweeting by the way to say we're live so other people can uh see us. But well, thank you. That was yeah, you're welcome. Uh that was one of the reasons that I did it. Um, and it's it's the exact same situation that I was in with All zero. Going into All zero, I had been at uh FedEx and I, I just knew I wanted to do content and uh devrel again, so that I was looking for devrel roles, I didn't know anything, like literally nothing about authentication knew nothing about OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect and JWTs. Like, I had seen talks on JSON web tokens and, like, was mind blown. I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me, how this would work and how that's secure and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, like, it's, it's just a big learning opportunity, I think. Yeah. And that's, like, it. at this stage in my career, I know a lot about a lot of things Um, I have I don't actually have like professional software experience for more than three years outside of FedEx where I like just writing code every day otherwise it's been teaching and and still building stuff and learning stuff but not like hands-on production software every day so I feel like it's this idea that I can invest a couple years of my time really heavily into a company and really heavily into myself to say like I'm gonna build out this new skill set that a lot of people and had I never done this I would never have the knowledge that I have even after a couple months in databases and especially the knowledge that I will have after a year or two, right? Same thing for auth. So, um, was I prepared for it? Yeah. I think like it makes me a little uncomfortable, but that was definitely a part of the reason why I took it. Cause it's a huge learning opportunity.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. I love that you put yourself in those uncomfortable situations to be able to learn more and to grow. And I think those teaching positions actually give you a different skill set and you learn almost more teaching mm-hmm. others about it. So I, I applaud you for that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, that's like going back to learn, build, teach. Like that's part of the teach and learn, build, teach is teach other people for their benefit, but also uh, selfishly more importantly, but not more importantly. Like if you are starting to talk about something, you realize really quickly while explaining it to someone else, how well you actually know that thing. And I've caught myself in, in talks and YouTube videos. And I kind of like shy away from a topic. Cause I'm like, I don't know this as well as I thought I did. So, it's a perfect perfect opportunity to re- reinforce the things you know and then figure out if you actually know what in the world you're talking about to begin with. Exactly. Great point.
0: Well, cool. Let's dive into it. I'm so eager to hear all about Planet Scale. And uh, I'm going to throw up just kind of Planet Scale's front page here
2: because it's it such a, a cool pretty site.
1: Page, yeah. I love it.
2: <laughs> we should definitely know. take a pause and just everyone admire. I have nothing to do with this, by the way. So, admire oh, the design and the team uh, that builds the website. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, when you scroll through, it's kind of interesting on... Where's it? Right here. It, mm-hmm. like, just pops up and starts coding. I'm like, yeah. let's start, I guess not coding, technically, but... No, only. The, is this the a coder.
2: CLI? This is, yeah. So we have uh, we have the P-scale, uh CLI, where everything that you can do... We'll talk about some of these features and things, like you see there. Everything that you can do from the dashboard, at least as far as I know of, you can do with the CLI behind the scenes. Uh, which I've had a question for people... In the past, if they're following documentation, um, do you prefer to have like instructions with a CLI or in an actual Ooh. dashboard? And from a content documentation perspective, it's harder to update the GUI stuff, right? Because that like screen's change and buttons get moved and text gets changed. Usually the CLI is pretty consistent, but like my personal thought is the first interaction that people have probably want to do it inside of GUI, but I know that differs from developer to developer. Mm-hmm. So my my first reaction or my
0: initial thought is like when I read MySQL compatible, but this thing's serverless, from my experience, like you're either, you know, running a hosted service like Kubernetes or something with your SQL database sitting in it, um, or it's you know completely native to the cloud, like uh, AWS Dynamo or something like mm-hmm. that. What where does this planet scale piece fit? Or do you want to break down kind of what Planet Scale is and then get to that?
2: Yeah. Um So the short answer, I think, is it's like a hosted managed service on top of uh, MySQL. And there's a middle layer that uh, we kind of joked about uh, before we started, which is Vitesse. So Vitesse is really where all the powerful features, again, that we'll talk about here in a second, that are inside of PlanetScale that are different, I think, than other um, platforms come from the underlying layer of Vitesse, which sits on top of MySQL. And to be quite honest, like MySQL, going back to the learning opportunity stuff, I've never I had never directly used MySQL out of like outside of, you know, WordPress uses it behind the scenes kind of thing. Like, so it was, it was nothing particularly interesting to me about that. Uh, but then you start to layer on Vitesse and now the features that we have and are adding and planning scale. scale. next, I don't have anything publicly to share, but the next couple of months are going to be really exciting. Um, so keep an eye out for for new features and things. Uh, but with this managed service, uh, you have, you know, your regular MySQL stuff. So anything you would, or most of the things, most, most, most of the things that you would do with regular MySQL, you would um, have access to. And on top of that, you get a really big scale. And so scaling with, traditionally scaling with um, relational databases is very hard to do horizontally. So if people Are familiar with this idea of scaling like scaling vertically means i have a machine i go get a bigger machine it's got more ram it's got more hard drive it's got whatever but there's a limit to that right like it like machines are only so powerful we only have a chip with so much ram etc so then you look at like scaling horizontally where it's like all right i'm just going to kind of spread my data and shard it potentially across all these different um these different nodes that maybe are not as individually not the most powerful one in the world but we can continue to build more and more and like semi get to infinite scale. So Vitess handles all of that stuff, allowing the horizontal scaling with databases and it's like powering YouTube and things like that. So the scale is like a no brainer, like it's powered the biggest websites and <laughs> databases in the world, uh, which is pretty cool. And then um, so outside of that, that's like pretty enterprisey. but then when you get to the developer features, it's like game changing stuff. So you can do branches Which will make a copy of your schema. And like if I'm testing, I can go and create my branch, work on that. I don't have to create anything locally. It's all hosted by PlanetScale. I don't have to choose any configuration or anything when I start, other than like what data center I'm in. So I'm not having to choose five gigs of RAM, 250 gigs, SSD, or whatever, right? Like it's just, it's going to give me what it gives me in the free tier. I don't have to make any decisions about what that looks like before knowing what scale actually looks like.
1: That's so nice. And that's an important thing too that you talked about. The free tier is Mm -hmm. having the ability to test things and use them without paying for it and limiting the accessibility to it.
2: Yeah, we just updated the... I'm looking at the pricing page now. We just updated this, I believe. And so on the free tier, you get... um, 10 gigs of storage a month and then 1 billion row reads. So the majority of like our pricing is based on row reads and then uh, row writes. And uh, the reads part is really interesting as I'm deep diving into how reads work and optimization with indexes or indices, depending on how you say it, and how that impacts um, not only your performance, but in this case, the cost. Um, So it's been kind of a fun deep dive. We've done internal lunch and learns with people that are like much, much, much more experienced than I am. And I'm just constantly like, what is this? How does that work? How does this affect so-and-so? So -so?" So again, going back to huge learning opportunity for me.
0: So let me put this back together in my head because I'm probably confusing it. Vitesse is the technology part of this, right? And then the planet scale side of that is kind of using Vitesse under the hood and putting some niceness around, like allowing you to scale out and a nice CLI for doing things. Is that is that correct?
2: Yep. Yeah. It's cool. basically like if you were to use the test directly, there's lots of things that you would have to set up and manage and get configured and stuff. So PlanetScale sits on top of that. So you can click new database and you've got a new database. You can click new branch. You've got a new branch, et cetera. Speaking et cetera.
0: of which, I mean, Yeah, the branching was a really cool feature. Try it out. Yeah. So I, I threw through this. This is the very start. I don't, I don't even think I've created a database yet. Or maybe I did.
2: Maybe this one. think you got yeah, that one there. Yeah.
0: So if I wanted to scale this thing, do I even have to think about it?
2: Nothing. Nothing that you have to do. Um, and again, you're on the free tier. So there's like probably don't have too much going on there. Right. For the simple things that we do, um, we would have I think, like, like bigger customers. We would have uh, conversations early on to kind of figure out what what potentially scale looks like for them, uh, but once we get them onboarded, there's nothing really they have to do after that.
0: Can we talk a minute
2: about what
0: branches are? Then I, I know yeah. you're starting into that. Like, what what does a branch actually do, and how can I like update my database once it's out there?
2: Yeah. So uh, branches are just kind of what you are used to in source control and get GitHub kind of thing. Um, It's actually, there's a lot of ex-GitHub people uh, here. So you see a lot of GitHub influence in what we do. We use a lot of like GitHub issues for project management and that sort of stuff. So it's actually kind of cool. But um, one of our taglines is like the database for developers. So I think we want developers to feel more comfortable doing more powerful things with Uh, databases, not necessarily having to be DBAs themselves, right? That's an expensive and not so common trait um, in people that are like dedicated to being a DBA. They exist, but I think they're a little harder to find. And then also just make the developer experience as smooth as possible. So um, when you create a database by default, you get a main branch that is not yet a production branch. Uh, What production branch means is you can't push changes directly to it. So again, like the idea of kind of protecting your master main branch in, um, in your code, similar idea here. Um, so if I were to promote that thing to master or to the production branch, uh, I can't push anything directly to it, which means to get changes into that production branch, you have to go through a deploy request, similar to how we would set things up with uh, merge requests and pull requests in uh, GitHub, GitHub project. That way, you have eyes on like approval step from someone else to make sure that hey, this actually looks right before we push it. We push it. You also get like a diff of here's the difference in the schemas uh, from what it was to what it is, and then you have a history of that that you can kind of see. Like I, what changes did we make at what time based on these branches and deploy? deploy make requests. sure you don't
1: accidentally wipe out an entire table of
2: data. Yes. Yep. So you, do you, you still have it up where you could show
1: how you set the production branch, or did you already do that with that database?
0: So I just, um, actually, it just asked me, where do you want this database? And I selected uh, Virginia, U.S. Virginia, mm-hmm. um, which was one of our questions on our, our list here, If if this is running on AWS or GCP or something like that under the hood.
2: Yep, this will be AWS behind the scenes. Gotcha. Cool. Um, And if you click into, so click on the codingcat.dev, anywhere on there, yeah, on that card. So it tells you this little pop-up. This database has no production branches, um, and then it tells you they're protected from direct schema changes. Um, Those are the ones that have automated backups and are uh, highly available. So again, you can do your testing on these other branches, but your actual production application would talk to and read and write to and from a, a production branch.
0: So, similar to the CLI, could I actually create like a schema update right now? Is there a way to do this visually?
2: You, so not like a visual builder for your schema. Um, okay. A couple of things that you have access to. If you click on the branches tab, um, mm-hmm. these, if you at the top, yeah. So, if you think about um, schema changes now, instead of them being for the database as a whole, they're for specific branches. So, you could mm-hmm. go into uh, into your main branch there. And then uh, you can see the schema. There won't be anything there now. But under the console tab, you could type in like a raw query. Um, so you have, you can, this is a, a MySQL console. So you could do create table, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you actually wanted to, I'd probably copy like an example from our quick start. We don't yeah,
0: have to that's, yeah. that's cool. I'll, I'll do it while <laughs> we're, we're chatting more about what yep. these, these branches are like and stuff. So, so actually, if you're used to Git, it, it sounds like um, you're going to be able to see the schema changes and things like that. Mm-hmm. For my experience on, on SQL, there's breaking changes for a schema and non-breaking changes. What does that kind of look like um, as you're sitting like in your dev branch? You make a change and that gets promoted up to your, your main or your production branch how does that affect things if it's going to break that schema is there downtime
2: uh i don't was this like was this a a softball question on the downtime part Shh. <laughs> <laughs> um so i'll start start with the first part and then we'll do the downtime cool and the first part is i'm not 100% sure um like how do complicated schema changes what does that look like and how does that get handled as i learn more the test behind the scenes is more and more magical. So a lot of the things that we have that are cool features that we'll talk about are because of the test. And the more I learn, the more amazing it is. So I think I still have some learning experience for like real world migrations or like real world schema changes in terms of we're making big changes. How does this affect this? And that's something I think that's still a learning opportunity for me. So I don't have a great answer on that part other than the test does do a lot of magic behind the scenes. The second part though, on the downtime, and this is one of the really cool features, is uh, Vitesse enables there to be zero downtime deployment. And so it involves like a a ghost database. It applies the schema changes there. It's copying over your data. It's also like not only copying over your data at this snapshot of your data at that point when you started, but it's continuing to stream changes. So you can continue to write to your database in your application as usual what you think what continue to work with your production branch as usual your application still running it's reading it's writing at the same time when the schema change is being applied behind the scenes it creates this ghost branch it's copying over the data that was already in your database and then it's streaming along those changes so that when it finishes applying the schema change and has all your data now it just directs over to this new date i mean it's a um, it's its own database. So it's redirecting now. It's just a switch that switches between one database to another. And that enables the zero downtime deployments and comes from Vitesse. So going back to like the more I learn about Vitesse, the, the cooler and cooler it gets. One of those things uh, that it enables is the zero downtime uh, schema migrations
0: really cool it's, it's interesting too. I always struggle with databases. I worked in s a p for years and we switched from Oracle to SQL to oh whatever their new one is. I can't remember um and it's it's crazy like the concepts in databases how sometimes databases do locking sometimes they don't when you do a schema change, how does it actually like all of the data hitting this will continue until it kind of merges mm-hmm. over. It's yep. it's phenomenal. It's that incredible. kind of brings
1: up a live question we had, too. Are there any plans to support additional database providers in the future? Great
2: question. Yeah. Um, so no, I think is the short answer. And the reasoning why is... I think it comes down to how complex Vitesse is. Like Vitesse is a product that's been built over the course of I couldn't even tell 10 years at least or I don't know exactly, but years of work has gone into Vitesse. And if you look at the things that that enables and the decisions that they made with Vitesse, specifically sitting on top of MySQL to do the equivalent of that on top of something like Postgres or something else would be an extremely large task. Um so I think our perspective is we're going to do what we do and do it really, really well. And Mm -hmm. instead of expanding into other database providers, uh, we will stick with what we're doing really well and not try to branch out too much and not do those pieces as well. That makes sense. The Another part of that too that we haven't mentioned is the idea of using an ORM uh, in front of your database to interact with it. So ORM is Object Relational mapping or mapper i forget but
1: yeah
2: um i don't know if you am i getting ahead of no we here? were talking about <laughs>
1: this with prisma so i was just mm-hmm. yeah i just brought up that conversation that we had when yep. we did the stream yeah
2: yep so prisma would be the orm that's most common i think in job like super super popular now specifically for javascript and typescript ecosystem and so thinking about something like postgres and mysql and Local MySQL versus PlanetScale, uh, we recommend, uh, or at least for a lot of the stuff that we build, the demos we do, and a lot of the stuff that we see, using Prisma to interact with PlanetScale. And so going back to your question about, is there a visual builder to uh, you know, creating your tables or changing your tables? No, but with Prisma, um, you get the ability to define a schema inside of a file, um, and then running a Prisma push command will actually send those changes to... Um, planet scale so you have those things connected prisma then manages whatever you end up doing creating tables dropping tables updating tables and so you get this ecosystem of things that people are already familiar with that now integrate uh pretty well with planet scale
0: yeah. i'm trying to
2: like mentally put that together in my head so
0: is it able to do the whole branching strategy that occurs within planet scale directly from it
2: yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there's a little bit of overlap in what we do with branching and what Prisma does with migrations. So if you've ever done Ruby on Rails, the migration pattern is uh, pretty standard where to make a change to your model, it's kind of keeping that, uh, that record of what you were to what you changed to. It's keeping a record of that migration. Um, so you have this migration history and in theory, you could like revert back to um, our previous snapshot in your migration history. Um, anyway, Prisma uh, works in a similar fashion where when you do, there's actually a Prisma migrate command, Prisma DB migrate, where it's going to make the changes to your database and also keep track of that migration information for you. Since PlanetScale has this concept of branching, it's, it's a similar overlap, right? Like PlanetScale has the ability to create the separate branch and then deploy requests that into a production branch or a different branch if you wanted to and keep that record as well. So there's not as much of a need for this idea of migrations with the Prisma. So I specifically mentioned integrating with Prisma, you can run uh, Prisma Scale, you can run the Prisma DB push command instead of migrate. Push command will just push directly to the schema or to the branch, can't be a production branch because you can't push to a production branch. Um, whereas the migrate one would keep that migration information, which we don't need in this case because of branching um so there's a little bit of overlap where we don't need the migration piece and i i think i said most of what i want to say but remind me what your original question was to make sure i addressed it all
0: No, i think you're good i just want to make sure with the whole like branching strategy and things like that i'm just thinking of different products like uh wordpress you know pops up in my mind as Mm -hmm. well like there is visual tools out there that kind of create um, updates to a database. And typically those are probably happening on a live database. Like there isn't this, this strategy mm-hmm. of changing a schema or something like that, which it freaks me out every time yeah. I have to go through it. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of curious, like, let's say WordPress, you did a great example on that side, but on a WordPress example like that, is it just as straightforward as normally using a MySQL database in that
2: case? Yeah, great question. Um, And I think I missed one piece that I want to do with Prisma that will then be relevant, I think, for this as well. So with branches in PlanetScale and then working with Prisma, your Prisma is configured based on a password slash connection string to a specific branch of your database. So if I want to create a new branch and do testing locally, I create a new branch and I create a new password, a new connection string that I then put into my environment variable file for Prisma to be directly connected to that branch, you can think of it as a completely separate database. Um, But you've branched off to keep your original schema and you can build on top of it. So the difference there is just what your connection string is. So with WordPress, um, same kind of thing, uh, which this like I've seen a lot of and I've done some hacky stuff with WordPress in the past. Uh, But same thing, if I'm running WordPress locally, and I've um, got a branch in planet scale, that's not my production branch, then that connection string for that specific branch, which is not production is what I'm going to be connected to while running locally. You could also just run my locally if you wanted to. True. Sure. Um, and then in production, you're just swapping out that connection string to connect to planet scale um, or planet scale production branch instead of the test branch that you were locally.
0: So in, in the WordPress example, if, if I was out in my, Oh man, it's, it's been a while PHP, my SQL editor thing. Um, if you, Want to add like a column in there or change a column, probably is a better example. Even would you actually have to do that in planet scale and then connect to that new one, or like what does that look like? Because I, I see visual editors all the time making these changes to MySQL databases in production.
2: Yeah, um, so I think this would get a little out of the realm of the traditional. Okay. Set up because when you're running locally with WordPress, um, I the last tool I used was um something from fly.io and it was like yeah, yeah, yeah. a way easier way to manage your lamp stack. Is that right? Patchy. yeah. I see yeah, cool. I so. yeah. <laughs> um it was like the easiest mail. way to do that. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of different ones. Yeah. <clears throat> so um so with that, you get like the MySQL local editor, I think is kind of what you mentioned, uh, or PHP admin comes with it, right?
0: I think it's like PHP my admin or mm-hmm. something like that.
2: So all that stuff kind of comes prepackaged most of the time with WordPress. Like you do like a one-click setup and you're often running locally or you're deployed. Um, that sort of stuff would be running MySQL locally. Um, so I don't know what where the actual connection string is in the WordPress internals, because I haven't done this. But somewhere in there, you would just switch that connection string to be um, to be PlanetScale branch instead of local MySQL. You could still use local MySQL and then in production, swap it out to do your MySQL production branch. Um, the one thing, though, that would would help with what we're talking about from a visual editor perspective is we have been integrated directly into archetype, A-R-C-type, T-Y-P-E. Um, it may be worth pulling up if you have a second to do that. Um,
0: I found Artyperix. I don't know if that's right.
2: <laughs> let going. me let me see if I can. Uh, it should be like archetype MySQL. SQL, there we go. Got it. Got it. Or SQL Client, yeah. Um, so this one actually directly integrates with PlanetScale and then PlanetScale branches. So you can oh. create branches here and have a visual editing experience for um, for your schema. Cool. So. If you're connected to Planet Scale running locally or in prod, you could, well, not in prod because you can't make changes directly to a production branch, uh, but running locally, you could use this to make changes uh, to your schema from a visual perspective. I'm glad I remembered that because I forgot about it earlier, but it's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> no, this is really neat.
1: Is this um, where like the foreign key constraints and things come in where you have to set up some of those to connect to Planet Scale?
2: Uh, it's not related to that, but that is a great. Uh, topic to cover so um one of and i limitations is not the right word uh, because it's very intentional um, but one of the things that is different about using planet scale is that foreign key constraints specifically not foreign keys but foreign key constraints are not supported so foreign keys in a database are. <clears throat> how we relate one table to another. So if there's like the book and author relationship, like book is going to have a primary key, it's unique identifier, and it will have a foreign key that usually is the primary key of its author. So that's how we have these relationships in, uh, in regular relational uh, database, relational databases. Um, The constraint part comes from, if I want to delete a book that has an author attached to it, I can't delete this book without deleting this author. Like those, that's one example of constraints that the database can take care of for you either to go ahead and automatically do the deletion of the other thing or to not let you do the deletion of the first one because there would be this orphan record out there that you don't want to have and maybe you didn't know there was an orphan record so it's not going to let you delete the first thing because of the existence of the other. So those constraints are things that databases can take care of but with PlanetScale slash Vitesse under the hood those constraints are not supported. And I couldn't tell you the super technical details about that, but that has been a very intentional decision that then helps enable some of the features that we have from a scale and developer experience perspective.
1: That actually makes sense. I, I think I was getting them confused with like the passwords you were saying to set up between mm-hmm. like Prisma and yep. Planet Scale.
0: Cool. I'm I'm just like thinking back through all my databases. and <laughs> Now that I've been like doing so much more kind of front end work and things like that, I've, I've converted over to like I use Firestore because it's easy to set up and like mm-hmm. uh, other like tools like that. Um, and one thing that pops out in mind is Supabase is kind of mm-hmm. floating around out there. And we got the question about Postgres and things like that. Um, I'm kind of curious if like maybe the next evolution of planet scale is making that connection easier to get to or is there a, a suggested way I know we, we talked about plasmic a little bit, but is there kind of like an easier way to get from me being a, a dumb front end developer, <laughs> get a database up and like off to the races with an API. I don't
1: know. Yeah. I thought it was easy.
2: Well, it's so, so I'll, I'll start by saying I'm a huge fan of Superbase. I'm actually just had a conversation internally where someone was kind of questioning, like, why, why would people want to use a specific feature of Superbase? And I was like, I can tell you, because it makes it so much easier to build a full stack. Like it enables some things from just a developer's perspective um, that you wouldn't have had before. Anyway. um, So I'm a huge fan of Superbase myself. Um, They're doing really, really well. They've got lots of, community support and people building with Superbase. So that's uh, that's really great. Um, I don't, we are not, as far as I know, we are not looking to be an all-encompassing platform like Superbase. And so Superbase has auth built in, it has role-level security policies, it has visual editor, it has all these things that you can do. It has streaming, so you can like, in their SDK, like do live updates and stuff, like listen for changes to your data and, and handle them. So that's, that's not from my understanding, our goal um if you think about the use case for just databases there's plenty of use cases where it's like i don't need all those other things i just need a database and i want to work with it in the context of my application that already exists or the tool set or the stack that we already know that we want to build with and so there's plenty of use cases to not need those features in Superbase. that again can be really cool especially when you're just getting started to build an app because it makes it like from scratch, build it really fast. But that's not a a necessary thing, especially for bigger development teams, established products that are doing migrations or bigger products that are starting from scratch that, again, already have things in place that they know and love and use and skill sets that they have. Um, But I don't have anything specific and I'm in like a weird limo. Like the next couple of months legitimately is super exciting for me in terms of things that I've heard, we're working on, things that we will start to announce. That is not a direct... Don't infer anything based on that. That's not a direct correlation to a comparison with Superbase. So don't guess at any features. True. Sure. Um, but there's exciting stuff coming in the next couple of months that I think will continue to drive developer experience first and foremost. And then also onboarding in in feature set, things that people would get out of it.
1: Maybe that's a good question too. Like what types of applications would we want to use something like planet scale over? something like Supabase like where's that divide at
2: yeah I think I mean there's there's probably not a whole lot to be quite honest um I think it it's probably more relevant for what's the background that you already have like do you do you need stuff with Supabase that like those features that we talked about do you need those if not it's like you can just use it for a Postgres database, which is what it is behind the scenes. That's a, that's a valid option as well. The other thing I think is Vitesse has been around for years now. Supabase, as awesome as it is, and I rave about Supabase all the time, is a newer product, right? It's built on top of MySQL. So, uh, Or excuse me, that's not true. It's built on top of Postgres. Let's get, get that straight. Um, it's built on top of Postgres, which people love. That's been around for a while. But Superbase itself is relatively newer and it's younger. Um, so people, enterprise companies are probably not looking for um, Superbase because of that at this point. Now, I'm sure they have plenty of customers that are doing really good stuff. But the traditional perspective, I think, is an enterprise company would not be looking for something that's that new. Um, so the, I think one of the benefits we have is we can say this is we've got a wrapper that we built on top of Vitesse, But the test, the stuff that powers all the stuff that we do has been around. For years on top of MySQL having been around for even more years. So I think that's one of the big advantages there. The other part, uh, and this is not necessarily tied to like application specific, um, but it's more around the application itself. Um, I think the developer experience stuff is really, really cool. The branching stuff is something that, you know, as people hear about PlanetScale, that's one of the things I think that sticks, especially for bigger companies as well to have those gateways to making changes to their data. Like one of the huge things for us that FedEx older culture from a technical perspective was we have to have, I don't even remember the word, but something change documentation for everything we do. Every database change has to be this big document. It has to be approved by VP. And then it was literally like the developer who knew about the database making the change because our DBA interaction was not that good to be quite, or they weren't available. Um, now you kind of got some of that stuff built in. You have a pipeline that you have to go through. Also, I haven't talked about this. Like you can tie all that stuff into DevOps. So if you create a, a dev, if you if you push to a branch in GitHub Actions, like go ahead and spin up a new branch in PlanetScale, seed it with some data, run your unit test and your integration test, and then drop that branch when you're done. Like that stuff is super, super cool. And thinking about the future of, where we already are with DevOps and automation and where we can go to incorporate the database from that level is like game changing stuff. That's, that's the kind of stuff that I think is like really nerdy, but also like really, really cool at the same time.
0: Yeah. You, you hit exactly where I wanted to head next because my, my head's kind of rattling around with uh, uh, the, the mug back here, develop preview ship on the Mm. Vercel side. And I'm kind of thinking like, one of the biggest problems when we deal with databases today is someone arguing, like, we don't have real data from production right now. Mm-hmm. It'd be amazing, like, when you go through that develop preview ship, if part of your, your workflow actually takes that branch, pulls it down, you connect to that. And then, like, you're previewing that updated data as you're pushing fixes or whatever. So that's what gets me kind of excited if, I, mm-hmm. if I'm understanding the technology perfectly.
2: Yeah, there's one caveat to clarify for now is database branching is schema only. So it'll copy over your schema, but not your data. Oh, um, I
0: must have misread that. I, th- I thought the full production piece would come.
2: Got it. Cool. For now is uh, it's just the schema. Uh, but then like, you could have part of that be like, go ahead and seed your database with yeah. testing data that you can use. And you probably want to do that anyway for automated tests because you want to know for every... You want to know exactly what the state of your data and your application is for when you do your test to make sure same inputs get the same outputs kind of thing. If you were like visually testing or a different kind of test uh, where you didn't necessarily need to 100% know the controlled inputs, branching off of production data or something, have to be careful with that too because of PI and all, like, all those different things. Yeah. So that's not something <laughs> that I would say should be done. <laughs> Very often, depending on the data set. Um, but I think for the automated testing stuff, you probably want a super, super controlled feed of data that you know what it looks like so that you can do your um, your test. Make sure all the ins and outs are the same.
0: I have to go on a tangent here because uh, <laughs> when I was working in the SAP realm, we, we had databases that had similar data or QA data or whatever. And we kept running into this bug and it drove us crazy on mm-hmm. the performance side it was because we had a table that filled up to like 25 million rows or some absurd number. And we were doing like counts against it. And the performance just was horrible. And we never even thought to put all of that data kind of down in one of our our dev Mm -hmm. databases. So it is important to figure those things out too.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And the flip side of that is, um, we would do some of that with FedEx for like load testing. And it was not super automated. Like, we were having to manually copy in data and stuff, but we would take like two times or three times or four times the amount of production data for a night. So I worked in sorting stuff. So if a package went through um, FedEx at the hub, there's in the, the sorter sorting stuff that we worked on, there's 750,000 packages that go through the sorter in about four hours or something like that. Like those are kind of rough numbers, but each each time that sp- that package gets scanned on these automated belts, it has to know from here, I need to get pushed off to this other belt. So you're having to make a snap decision within like milliseconds. Where does this thing go? And so you have records, multiple rec- like multiple scan records and event records for each one of those packages, seven hundred fifty thousand a night and a million up during peak season, um, in production for night. So what we would do is we like could potentially double that, right? Like, can we think assuming that peak is never going to be quite two times what we have now? It'll be one point five maybe that'll be high um, let's go ahead and run this stuff in our dev servers um, or qa servers or whatever with two times the data and then if you can handle that you can feel better about being able to handle the load in production
0: yeah that's a great point uh i, I my timer didn't go off so i've got to take a quick break to uh, hit our advertisement for builder io and then we'll be back with pics Today's podcast is brought to you by Builder.io, visually building the web. Builder.io has one of the most powerful visual editors in the industry. Unlike other tools, Builder actually produces the code for you. You don't have to completely switch out your framework either. Just use one of the handy SDKs that are available. There's no limits to what you can build. Instead of limiting your marketing team, start to optimize and let them do the work. This will allow your web developers to get back to the hard work that it takes for other components, allowing your team to do A-B testing and personalization. Stop worrying about bugs in production. Just use the site as it is, then you can analyze and start converting all of your customers with Builder's built-in heat maps. Stop limiting your growth with developers' long lead times. Start building, optimizing, analyzing, and start growing faster. Don't take my word for it. You can sign up for free today and start building the web visually with Builder.io. Whew. <laughs> Advertisement in.
1: Should have moved <laughs> it up
0: a little further. My bad, Builder. Thank nice you transition, it. though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to jump into our perfect picks now because I know James is like a million. streams Streams
2: today (laughs) three it's a it's a three stream kind of day yeah
0: (laughs) cool uh i'm gonna throw you on the fire and let you go first here
2: okay so i'm doing my pick cool you got the link up so i do a lot of uh, a lot of content and i have uh you know for my setup for like video content um or tutorial stuff i have my Sure sm7b which is like one of the top-of-line mics, and it works great. But my problem was, if I was doing anything mobile, I was kind of struggling to get good audio, especially if there's like the AC or the heater is running in the background or whatever. Um, so anyway, I did a bunch of research, and Rode is like the brand that most people go to. Um, and then I saw uh, this one that you've got on here, the Sennheiser MKE 400. Um, this is on a tripod and a whole thing, so I can plug my phone into that. Um, but this one, basically, from all the reviews that I saw, like was as good as the top of the line equivalent road mic and then it had a couple of other really cool features like the battery like this won't turn on unless it's plugged into a phone or camera even if you plug it into the camera it's not going to turn on if the camera's not on itself so oh, the cool. mic doesn't turn on wastefully um it has mm-hmm. batteries which i actually prefer um because if it dies i can swap out batteries immediately versus making it Having charge wait to charge yep um, it has built-in, like, windscreen stuff, so you don't have to put on, like, a windsock if you're outside, because the mic is actually inside of this thing itself. This is not the mic. It's inside of there. Yeah, there you go. Um, but there is a windsock that you can carry with it. And um, it came with, like, cables to support hooking up, to Like, this cable is specifically for iPhone. It's the TRS3 or whatever. It's the thing that has, like, three rings on it. Uh-huh. And they also have the regular one with two rings that is... I um,
0: should have probably zoomed in, sir.
2: Oh, it's all good. Um, that's for, the, uh, for your camera. So anyway, super versatile. It's super small. Uh, let's see if I can get the autofocus on here. There we go. Yeah. I have to so like nice. It hard um, so yeah, it's worked out really well. The quality, I think, is pretty good. It's lightweight. Uh, we talked about this before. Um, I haven't really taken it with me, but I will take it with me on trips because it's small um, and easy to hook up to, uh, to my phone. Very yeah. cool. Great. Pick. I think I
1: just remembered you talking about it on compressed, and you mm-hmm. were maybe talking about taking it on future yeah. trips.
2: Yeah, I'm looking. I want to do this whole like, I feel like it shouldn't be man on the street interviews. Although I say that just because it's what people have heard of, man or woman on the street interviews, or people on the street interviews. But um, just the the thing of like walking up to random people and asking them a question, especially at a conference. Like, as developer, tell me something fun about yourself that's not developer related. Tell me about your worst moment as a developer like i feel like that would be really cool that would be interesting really cool. yeah. or you I'm could do your tiktok, TikTok
1: videos just like pop up in mm-hmm. the street
2: yeah uh that's I'm gonna yeah. follow you
0: around i'll do the camera work <laughs> mm-hmm. let me know when we're doing it
2: absolutely i've got conferences coming up so if you want to tag along nice. do. sounds great uh
0: britney your pick is up next
1: Nice. Yes. So Inventing Anna was really intriguing. And the fact that it's based on a true story. So you're kind of following along. Not quite in real time. I think it was a couple of years ago, but it's just absolutely bonkers crazy. And I highly suggest that you watch it after you get over the fact that her accent is really, really strange. It's very weird. but. Singer, it was a really good show.
0: <laughs> Singer transformation from Ozark to this is just it's mind-blowing.
1: She's gotta be an amazing actress because she, that's absolutely. like completely different genres.
2: Cool. I like this. I'll have to I'll have to check that out.
1: <laughs> I love how it always pauses my face I'm like oh, <laughs> <awkward."> <laughs>
2: show the cover. Like I Yeah, right.
1: Show the cover at first or something, but I had James on last week, two weeks ago, and we did a whole thing with PlanetScale, hooking it up with SvelteKit using Prisma. And like I said, I thought it was super easy and developer friendly. And I got to use like JavaScript stuff I'm familiar with and not all the database things. You can probably see in the middle of it, I mess up trying to write the little command for my SQL. I am not a database person, but I felt like this was very comfortable.
0: It's funny, I used to know like I could write SQL, no problem, and now <laughs> I,
1: can't. I forgot the semicolon because you I don't use semicolons anymore.
2: <laughs> yeah, or, for what it's worth, that's a UI thing that we should do better at in <laughs> inside of the Planet <laughs> Scale console. So that's that's something we should add. But
0: cool. Uh my first pick is Invato Elements. Um been doing a lot of video work, which you, you're kind of noticing bits and pieces as we go along with the live show here. Um I kind of stayed away from these like templated things, but it would take me so many hours to complete a lot of these transitions in Adobe After Effects. Uh, I think it's worth it uh, when I when I break down my hourly cost versus what comes out of it. Excellent, excellent uh, piece. I was a little nervous on the licensing, so I, I hesitated for a mm-hmm. long, long time. And now I finally like understand it fully and how it can be used. So highly suggest it if you're looking for video features, um, especially... If I go to the video templates here, they've got After Effects, but I use a lot of the premium Pro ones that are already set up and I can dump logos and everything else in there. So check the that out.
1: Presentation cool. templates are really good too. I've yeah, had those
0: really before. That's cool. So, Can I ask
2: stuff. you yeah. a question about yeah. that? Hit me. So I have, I have a subscription too. And the one question I had, like for sound effects, I want to use. I think you have to document every YouTube video that you use them in. So like for a social media template, like an animated Twitter thing, um, I think you had to register like every video, which I just, I want it to be in every single one of mine. Is that something you've... I have to tell you, I,
0: I get super, super nervous on the audio. So I only use YouTube Studios audio approved items. Mm-hmm. So if you go into studio.youtube, no. they have the whole, it's a huge catalog. Thing, so I yeah. only use those and usually uh, search for the ones that don't re- require the license piece. So yeah, haven't haven't dove into the, the sound side. That's, it makes me nervous. <laughs> I don't want videos to get pulled down or my channel to get blocked. Yes. Cool. Uh second pick. Been having a lot of fun with this at builder. So this is called uh, it's made by Ooh. Raycast. I think yes. it's it's called Ray, but I love this thing because I Raycast can, is awesome. Yeah, is. Ray, Raycast is awesome too. Um but I can just dump code in and literally just on the export just say either save or copy is what I usually do. Copy it and dump it into Twitter right away. So it's like I I used to always like take a screenshot of VF code or something like that. This has been so much easier.
1: I used to use Polar code mm-hmm. and then polo code stopped working in VS Code at some point. Mm. And I have not mm. found something to do this. So I need to use this.
2: That's interesting.
0: Cool. Oh got put James back in the right spot. <laughs>
2: I still cool. I still use public code and VS Code. Do There's you? Also, I don't
1: know why it stopped working for me. Yeah, I don't
2: know. Um Carbon.sh is yep, another one. Uh, another one, but I'm a big fan of I use Raycast on my computer. So I didn't know that they had like other products. So that's the reason I feel like to for me to to try them out because I'm a big fan.
0: Yeah. yeah love love raycast. They also have an amazing website. I should probably put that up real quick. Check this yeah. out. So this is Raycast's website. Yeah.
2: I haven't yeah. seen the the newest one. That's it bad. takes
1: over your spotlight search on Mac. Mm-hmm. No one knows what that is. So
0: oh yeah, good yeah. point. We didn't talk about the project. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have perfect pick this next time.
2: Yeah. Um, can I throw in a second one just for of a course, small conversation piece? Of course you can. Um this is more an exciting thing for Jess and I. We're going to Paris and London. I'll be speaking at a conference in London and we're going early to go to Paris. And we already speak English, so we don't need to learn. Like maybe we'll do some British terms research, but We've been studying uh, not Spanish, French on Duolingo. So we've been doing that for like eight days straight. And uh, we watched a movie last night and watched it with French subtitles, which I recognize more words than I thought I would. So oh, wow! Uh, we've been using Duolingo every day for over a week and we'll use it every day leading up to going to Paris.
1: That is awesome. Do you, do you find
2: like you can
0: talk to each other in French or it's just like words here and there that you're going to be able to pick up more.
2: It's definitely more going to be us picking up stuff, Um, but I think that's something that we need to do more with each other because that's like the thing we don't quite have is that like immersive experience, um, which is how I learned Spanish was just being around it almost every day for years at a time. That's cool. That
1: conversational piece adds so Mm -hmm. much more to language, like learning it in a classroom type setting is just so different.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: my, my son's goes to spanish immersion so he's full-time spanish oh, he's cool. starting to transition out as they go to high school but it's really interesting my wife like learned spanish back in the day but hasn't used it and mm-hmm. listening to them talk and then you know, like going to italy spanish is so similar so she was able to kind of get us around but yeah these other countries were like a little more nervous about uh traveling yeah. into so this mm-hmm. would be a good one good tool to get into
2: yeah just now we were just talking about the similarities between spanish french and italy and i said the same thing like knowing so much spanish i bet i could romance go to languages italy and recognize 50 percent of the words that totally. i see yeah
0: yeah well cool thanks james for joining thanks. us once again and uh check out james q quick on youtube and Compressed FM. and we'll catch you next time
1: later
2: see ya
0: It's not playing.
1: Still not playing.
0: We can <laughs> say hello and
1: just talk over it, but this is supposed to have outro. <laughs> Hi everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right.